Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, great to have you back here with us on Top of the Morning. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. A lot to catch up on. I know it was a busy week last week and there's a lot here we can talk about that sort of sets the tone, so to speak, for the rest of the year. Yeah, good morning, Dan. You know, it was a four-day week, but a lot was packed in, so certainly many things to touch on today. So, Jason, as you alluded to, there was a lot of data, notable price action across financial markets last week. And during our last CIO strategy snapshot, we did talk about how the first week of the year can set the tone, so to speak, for the balance of the year. So for today, perhaps we can pick up there and address whether that could be the case. Starting with the data points we received over the past week... I'm curious, Jason, what's the overall takeaway from your vantage point from all of the information we received? Well, in some way, it's almost a, a, a collective, it's a bit of a Rorschach test. If, you know, if you're sort of you know, optimistic or you think a soft line is possible, you would look at the data from last week and say, that kind of confirms or reaffirms my view. Whereas I think others could say, well, if there's, there's clear signs of, of slowing that we're going to get a recession and the data last week didn't dissuade that. You know, the most prominent data point that came out was the December payrolls data on Friday morning. It was, you know, kind of sort of in line with expectations in some ways. Uh, you know, a little bit over 225,000 jobs created where the expectation was a little, you know, around 200,000. So a little bit better than expected there. But the big data uh, point was the average hourly earnings. You came in uh, uh, around like 0.3% on a month-to-month basis, but the prior two months had been revised lower. So the thing that really kind of stood out uh, on the recent labor market data was the fact that in November, the data we got in early December, in November, average early earnings went up 0.6% month over month, when the prior couple of months have been averaged around 0.3%. And that was the one kind of, you know, um, thorn in the side of sort of the inflation moderating narrative. After we got the data from last Friday, um, average hourly earnings on a year-over-year basis are now rising 4.6%, but if you take the last six months and annualize it, it's actually a little bit lower at 4.4%, and the last three months, 4.1%. So more optimistic signs that wage growth is, is moderating. But other labor market data during the week from initial jobless claims to job openings suggest the labor market is still you know, holding up quite well. There isn't a lot of cracks, you know, at least at this point in time. Then you couple that with you know, some of the ISM data, especially on Friday, the ISM services data, which was expected to be around 55 as a headline rating. It came in like a little bit below 50 at 49, uh, which gets into contraction territory. So if you look at that data plus earlier data of the week, it does indicate an economy that is slowing, but also that inflation is moderating. Uh, so the way I kind of think of all this is that we're in an environment now where it's a bit of a kind of race to the bottom, so to speak, between inflation and economic growth. Um, and depending on which one can call foul faster, because inflation can fall fast closer to the 2% you know, target, or growth stays resilient, uh, that increases the probability of the soft landing scenario because, I mean, the Fed has to do at least a little bit less than, than it has been assuming, the market has been assuming. Um, and while that doesn't really guarantee a soft landing, it at least moves the needle a little bit towards, you know, the, you know, that make it a little bit more likely. If on the other hand, the inflation data ends up being sticky and we get later this week, on Thursday, the CPI data for December, that proves to be stickier than expected, you know, then maybe the Fed has to do more. And again, that increases the odds of, of a recession happening. So it's, uh, you know, that's kind of where we are. I think where we take away from last week is that the inflation story kind of maybe incrementally was a little bit better. 
because aside from the wages falling, you saw the prices paid components of DISM manufacturing and services fall to lows that they haven't seen in like 20 months and over two years. So there's clearly kind of signs of inflation moderating, but growth data still seems to be holding up okay. Um, but this could change quickly. It could change this week with the CUPI data and other data. So it, it could evolve almost week to week how this, this kind of race plays out. But that's the takeaway is the end of it is the odds of a soft signing scenario look a little bit more likely after the data from last week. So some wait and see with respect to inflation data, just honing in on the price action from last week for a few moments. And I do want to point out that we're recording here on Monday, January 9th. But reflecting on last week, we did see equities finish higher with the S&P 500 up by 1.4%. We did see bond yields drop considerably with the 10-year Treasury yield down 31 basis points. Jason, how would you characterize market performance in general, what we've seen over the past week? Well, the market responded to all the data. So for the overall week, it was kind of you know, moving towards pricing and a little bit of a soft landing scenario, which ultimately leads into more of a kind of a pro-cyclical risk-on environment. You know, with inequities, the S&P for the week was up 1.4%, but the more cyclical and kind of economically sensitive parts of the market did even better. You know, small caps were up 1.8%, uh, value stocks 2.5%, uh, Whereas growth stocks uh, were down or only up 0.3%. And, and tech, despite the fall in rates, uh, you know, like the market overall. Then you look outside of the U.S., we've seen maybe better than expected data for, for Europe, just in terms of, you know, the use of natural gas and, and some of the inflation data there. So European equities up 6%. China's reopening, so it's kind of galvanized the rally there. It was up 7.6%. So it's kind of consistent with a story where the market globally believes that uh, the the global economic environment is maybe a little bit better than the people feared, especially outside of the U.S. The caveat to all this is that, you know, there's always some positioning dynamics. Investors weren't maybe expecting this kind of data. So sometimes when you get a little bit better than expected news, the market overreacts just because of some position adjustments. And that, I think, maybe was the case for, for some of the performance. So you have to keep kind of keep that in mind. On the rates front, you know, big decline in the Treasury yields, as you alluded to, kind of across the curve. So the, you know, the two-year was down about 17 basis points. Over the course of the week, you know, the, what the market was expecting for a, a Fed funds rate, where the Fed lined up, ended up being unchanged, but it did drop on Friday. So the market is basically saying, you know, two more Fed rate hikes roughly. If you look at other asset classes, you know, the U.S. dollar was, was a little bit weak by the end of the week. The stronger currencies, again, those are that tend to be the most beneficial from the global economic cycle accelerating. You know, high, um, highly cyclical currencies like say, the Canadian dollar and the Aussie dollar. The one that have outlier in this whole cross-market performance is oil, which fell, which is falling based on kind of global, near-term global growth concerns. So while China drops its kind of COVID zero measures because of a, a COVID wave they're going through right now, and the near-term mobility will be impacted, economic growth will be impacted, and oil prices tend to t- trade more on current conditions as opposed to where we're going to be in three to six months, like stocks are forward-looking. Um, but that was the overall dynamic last week is you're kind of reacting to incrementally maybe a better you know, uh, macro environment in the soft landing scenario. So if we return to the topic of first impressions and whether they matter, how does what happened last week, Jason, inform your investment outlook from here? Well, Tom will tell whether this kind of soft landing kind of incremental increase in probability you know, is that the right sort of narrative to take away from last week. Um, things could change very quickly. And I think one of the, the takeaways that we have to keep in mind is that this um, – this race between sort of growth slowing down, inflation falling, it's going to keep markets you know, kind of range bound and swinging, you know, kind of across different scenarios until there's 
kind of more, I could say, investable clarity on the macro path in Fed policy going forward. Um, there's a lot of noise in the data. The, it was sort of surprising to see the ISM services fall as much as it did. You know, the consensus was expecting around 55 to sort of fall to 49 to contraction territory. That's a really big one-month move without some sort of obvious kind of catalyst in, in the economy to kind of point to that. Um, on the revisions front, you know, a lot of the data does get changed after the fact. So there, aside from the Libra report, you know, suggesting wages are, are moderate a little bit, the prior two months' data were also revised lower. So if you took before the data on Friday, the prior three months, the wage growth over those three months and annualized it to a full year, it was coming out to be 5.8%. After Friday's data, you take one more month of data, you annualize the most recent three months, it comes up to 4.1%. That's a really dramatic difference. 5.8% says wages are sticky, the Fed has to do more. 4.1% says wage growth is turning pretty close to where the Fed needs it to be around 3.5% uh, in order to get the labor market and inflation back at sort of at the acceptable levels. Um, so it's a very different story. I think the fact that they could change that much in, in sort of one data release tells you that the markets could get data this week, next week, or next month that tell a different story. So I think that's going to lead to the more market sort of movements around. Uh, a second kind of takeaway from last week is the markets are trading, I think, more now on sort of economic data and economic growth data in particular, because people do believe inflation is coming down more so than on you know, kind of policy announcements. Uh, and we can see that with the market reaction to the payroll data and the ISM services data on Friday. Markets rallied a lot. Bond yields were down you know, 15 basis points. This is much more so than when we got the FOMC minutes on Wednesday, which weren't really telling us that much new. And you can see the market at the end of the day kind of shrugged to some extent, saying, like, all right, this is kind of old news. What this means is that, uh, you know, the markets are going to hinge a lot on data. The Fed is still very critical, but what we are now at is a stage where the, the data itself is, or the Fed itself is data dependent. So as data comes in that is so showing good signs of disinflation, the market's going to price in the Fed having to do less and, and vice versa. So while the Fed certainly matters, it's the data that's going to drive the Fed and, and the data, therefore, that's going to drive the market view. Uh, and the third point I'd say is, as the market focuses more on this kind of growth story, more so than the policy story, some of the typical cross-market performance relationships that we've known for at least the past 10 years, if not longer, might start to return. Looking back to last year, it was a really bad year for both equities and bonds. They both sold off, so that diversification didn't materialize. But in an environment where the market's more concerned about growth and less about sort of policy tightening, then you can have a situation where you know, if, if uh, the growth outlook is deteriorating, that's bad for equities, but interest rates can decline and bond yields can rally. So you get some of that diversification. So some of those kind of performance and correlations that were disrupted last year uh, were safe haven after class that didn't really perform. We could start to get to see that kind of, you know, uh, kind of re-engage in this year in the market. So I think that was one of the other takeaways from last week. Bringing this all back to actionable investment advice, what are CIO's asset allocation recommendations? Well, we're going to see continuous sort of market sort of swings on you know, the data that comes in. Uh, these views can shift you know, pretty quickly. Uh, it's also the case that uh, I think the investor consensus is pretty bearish. I mean, I think by and large investors expect things to get worse before they get better. But there's also not a lot of conviction. So I think people are willing to make big directional calls one way or another, given this uncertainty and volatility and the data, which does mean once we get sort of the clarity, I think you're going to see the markets clearly sell off if the data gets in a way you know, worse and suggests a hard landing is likely, or if it looks more and more likely that there could be a soft landing, then you can see equity markets, at least in other risk assets, really kind of benefiting from that. Uh, another thing to consider is that, uh, at least for equities and U.S. equities specifically, 
even if we get sort of a soft landing type of scenario play out, it doesn't necessarily mean the upside for U.S. equities is that good. In order to get that sort of soft landing, you know, partly what you need is, you know, is, is for inflation to come down, but also means that companies have less pricing power. And that means margins ultimately kind of compress, and that's going to constrain kind of earnings growth. If we don't get that, and it does mean the Fed probably is doing more than it's currently priced, and that's bad for equities as well. So unless we get some sort of immaculate disinflation where, you know, sort of inflation just falls dramatically without margins being impacted and without earnings being impacted, the outlook for U.S. equities, um, you know, isn't particularly good. I think kind of limited upside, you know, between now and year end, and certainly near term, as we start to see companies announce and give guidance, and as soon as it's Friday with the start of fourth quarter earnings season, the earnings impact, you can sort of see some, some challenges there. On the flip side, I alluded to earlier some of the performance last week where European equities, EM equities, China had outperformed the U.S. That story should kind of continue to have some legs because it looks like European growth is not going to be as bad as feared. It's a warmer winter than expected. Uh, some of the data on inflation suggested falling pretty quickly in, in Europe. Also, now you have China you know, reopening and growth there can start to accelerate by the end of this quarter. So outside of the U.S., the economy looks like it's sort of troughing and can start to slowly recover by the end of this quarter, or at least the second quarter, whereas U.S. growth might not trough until the second half of this year, uh, which is one of the reasons why we have U.S. equities as least preferred. Um, the macro environment suggests that you know the other regions could outperform, and they're also cheaper versus U.S. still, uh, and that provides another potential you know, tailwind. On fixed income, you know, rates decline, but it's likely that the, the yields are going to continue to be kind of choppy, sort of range-bound, until we kind of clearly hit signs that, uh, you know, that that growth it really is slowing significantly and the Fed is done hiking. Uh, once that happens and if the tenure gets closer to 4%, that is an opportunity to further kind of extend duration in your portfolio, but for now, kind of stay up in quality, you know, overall with the fixed portfolio, not allowing to take, you know, risk, um, you know, given the, the dynamic in the, in the economy right now where things could get worse, you can get decent yield without taking much credit risk. Jason, very helpful conversation to begin the first full trading week of 2023. Looking forward to picking back up with our conversation next week, Jason. You're welcome. Have a great week. Today, we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.